Well, like it or not, acknowledge it or not, not only is today Reformation Sunday, but it's also Halloween. And Halloween means horror. Halloween means horror movies. Halloween means horror movies named Halloween. And you know, these horror movies are a bit tropish. They repeat these same old devices over and over again, at least the old ones did, and yet these repeated devices never fail to get us. You know how it works. The movie draws to an end. The dark, evil, misshapen, grotesque, terrorizing character is finally killed. And the music lightens and brightens. The horror is over. And invariably, the hero or the heroine turns his or her back on that dead thing, safe at last. But then suddenly and dramatically, the music intensifies and turns frantic again, and the thought-to-be-dead hand starts to twitch. And then it reaches out and once again grabs our hero or heroine, and the struggle continues again. The horror returns until at last... The evil thing is killed again and again and again, depending on the movie, how many times this thing comes back to life. Now, let's do this. Let's reclaim the world's horror for gospel good in our lives. It's actually a blessing for us to picture these scenes this morning because what it actually does is it sets before us the ugliness, and the grotesqueness of sin that we often have a cavalier attitude toward in our lives as if sin isn't ugly, horrible, as if sin doesn't misshape our lives, as if sin were not a mortal enemy that we are supposed to put to death. It's a blessing, this image, because It's a picture of how trope-ish our lives can be. The same theme over and over and over again. At least when it comes to sin. That which we are supposed to kill, we allow to live. To reach out. To take hold of us. To entangle us. English pastor John Owen He's called the Calvin of England. He's been called the Prince of Puritan Theologians. In 1656, he wrote this classic work entitled Mortification of Sin. And he writes this. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So Reformation Sunday reminds us through the power of the Spirit that indwells God's children and through these ordinary means of grace that we need to be constantly reforming our lives. You and I need to be constantly changing our habits so that in our lives we do what leads us to Christ, what leads us to life and away from sin and death. 
you and I, must always be dying to sin and living to Christ. And that's what I want to talk about as we return once again this morning to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look just at two verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. So when you found Acts 2.42 and 1 Corinthians 11.26, would you please stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And now 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you now, as always, to be faithful to your promise that where your word is read and heard, that's a place of blessing. So bless us now uh, through the power of your spirit as you teach us through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we have been seeing over these past five months now, the early church was devoted to the means of grace. They were devoted to praying. They were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper. And we've been looking at reasons, reason after reason, while the early church was so devoted to these means of grace. And you and I, well, it's my fault, but I've drug you along with me. We've been ringing out, that's what we've been devoted to, ringing out all the truth that we can get from these verses and for what it means to have these means of grace. So this morning... We're going to return for yet another week specifically to the Lord's table as a means of grace. And we're going to look at another reason why the early church was devoted to the Lord's Supper. It's because the grace of this table had reformational, reformational power in their lives. It helped them as it helps us to mortify sin. So that our lives are reformed, reshaped more and more in the image of Christ. As you heard, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You and I proclaim the Lord's death. Now I'm going to confess something to you. For many years... Even after I was a pastor, I was annoyed by the way this often repeated verse was worded. It didn't fit my agenda. I was a church planter. And so I hoped to attract to church people who didn't know the Lord. And I didn't think that proclaiming a message of death was a very good way to attract people. Death, I thought, was a downer. Death is a downer. And so I wish the verse read, 
You proclaim the Lord's life. You proclaim the Lord's life until he comes. That, I thought, was a better message. That's a, a joyful message. That is the main message, I thought, this message of life. But look, I was wrong. Death is not a downer. Without death, there can be no life. See, in reality, the resurrection is the, the denouement. It is the falling action. It is the final resolution of the main drama of Jesus' life. And that was his death. The resurrection is just the proof that God accepted Jesus' death as a perfect sacrifice for sin. So that should any doubt that Jesus was the perfect sinless son of God, the resurrection would dispel that doubt. But the main drama surrounded Jesus' death. Would he die? Would he not die? See, I imagine the angels watching, standing, standing ready to go rescue Jesus. Perhaps they were, had to be prevented from going to do so, from, from rushing to this one who, for reasons perhaps unknown to them, left heaven in the first place. And now to witness the suffering of this beautiful one. Would he stay on the cross? Would he die on the cross? And what about Satan? He probably retained some glimmer of hope as long as Jesus did not die. If Jesus did not die, if the angels did in fact come and rescue him, then Satan wins. And so watching Jesus on the cross must have been a bit like watching the clock on the scoreboard. You know, when you're ahead, the clock seems like it will never run out. Seconds feel like minutes as you long for the game to end while you are winning. But when you're losing the game, seconds feel like milliseconds flying too quickly away. For Satan, was Jesus dying too quickly? As long as he had life, there remained that chance that Jesus would cry out to the Father, rescue me. And so you see, the drama is in the death. Because only by Jesus' death could God's plan to offer you and me eternal life be accomplished. There was no alternative plan. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in eternity past, determined, decreed, death to be the way. All of the drama is in Jesus' death. John Owen wrote another book entitled, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. Death, death, death. Death is the drama. And that's why you and I must proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because life doesn't come easy. Life only comes through death. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
Life only comes from death. We translate the word Jesus used here as truly. But John, when he wrote his gospel, used the Hebrew word amen. And the word amen was used to strongly affirm what was stated. That's why we say amen at the end of our prayers. What we're saying is, Lord, may it be so. May it be this way. Jesus uses the word to begin a solemn statement. It's as if he's saying, I I assure you the truth of what I'm about to say. And so here in John 12, Jesus doubles it for emphasis. Amen. Amen. Why? Does Jesus have to emphasize this truth about death? Perhaps it's because he knows that people, with him then, people like us now don't like to look at death. Because we want to turn away from it. Perhaps because we're inclined to believe that the opposite of what Jesus says here is true. No good could come from death. So Jesus emphasizes, truly, truly, I say to you, life comes from death. And so in the Lord's Supper, whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That through death, Jesus defeated death. He put to death the power that sin has over you and me. Romans chapter 6. Verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul writes, For the death Jesus, for the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You, you see, we have to reform our lives. We have to reshape them. You and I have to consider ourselves to be dead to sin. The call here is for us to look at ourselves in a new way, from a new perspective. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. Every single day we live should be a day of death for us. We must always be thinking about death, always remembering. Every day that we must put sin to death, we must mortify it. And that's why we must proclaim the Lord's death. Whenever we come to the table, it reminds us that we must put to death what Jesus had to die for. Because you and I so often feel the opposite is true. We too often feel that we are really alive, that we are truly alive when we are enjoying our sin. That we're not so alive in Christ. Isn't that the message of the world? Truly, truly, I say to you, on some level, we believe that life is found in sin. At least what you and I might call Real life, or the life about which we might say, now, this is really living. What would that life look like for you, honestly? To say, now I'm really living. I think of some of the things we binge watch on television. The situations and the characters 
that make us laugh the loudest, that make us laugh the longest, are often the very situations that necessitated Jesus dying on the cross. We laugh loud. We laugh long at what sent Jesus to the cross. And while we're laughing, there's part of us, just a little part of us, maybe that longs to be like who we see on TV, the life at which we're laughing. We think killing such a life leads to no life, or at least a boring life, or an unexciting life. A life out of step with the rest of the world, okay, okay, I'll kill my sin, but that's the end of my life as I like it. No, (laughs) no. See beyond the death. See beyond the death of your sin. You know what Jesus did? He saw beyond death. Scripture tells us he looked beyond it, and for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus was able to die because he saw the joy. And what was the joy? The joy had to be that he was going to be united with his Father again in the presence of the Father that he loved so much. And let me tell you this. If you haven't experienced that joy, keep going into the presence of the Father. Keep going. Keep going because Scripture says this. In the Lord's presence, there is fullness of joy. Jesus saw the joy of putting sins to death, of forgiving sins. He saw joy not in sins indulged, not in sins lived out. He saw joy in sins forgiven. And so you and I, listen, we've got to reform our lives. Reshape them around death, the death of our sin and our lives. I'm going to quote John Owen again. John Owen is great. The robe inspired me, I don't know. Puritans, mortification of sin. Listen, he writes, Sin is always acting, always conceiving, always seducing and tempting. Who can ever say that he has ever had anything to do with God or for God which indwelling sin has not tried to corrupt? This battle will last more or less all our days. If sin is always acting, we are in trouble if we are not always mortifying. There is not a day but sin foils or is foiled, prevails or is prevailed on, and it will be so whilst we live in this world. It's the constant duty of believers to render a a death blow to the deeds of the flesh that they may not have life and strength to bring forth their destructive influence. I quote John Owen because these Puritan writers seemed more pointed in the way they wrote about sin. See, our culture has become a a therapeutic culture. And our worship services have often become big therapy sessions. Our culture has become one of victimization. And listen to me very carefully. I hate to be misquoted in this. I'm not saying that people are not victimized. Maybe you have been victimized. By the sin of other people, you have been hurt by that sin. You have been made a victim. And we grieve over that victimization. Everybody hear me say that. 
What I'm talking about here is that even a victim is a sinner. You know why I know that? Because Scripture says that all have sinned. All have sinned. Not some. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. All of us have to face our sin. Not excuse it. Not rationalize it. Not attempt to shift the blame for it to someone else. It's ours to own. It's ours to mortify. It's ours to kill. Put death Put sin to death daily. If you want to name and claim something, you know, we like to name it and claim it. Name and claim this. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what you need to name and claim. And then rejoice. Rejoice that you and I have such a great sinner. Our sins are great, but Christ is greater still. Is that good news? There is no help for our souls apart from this confession. There is no reformation for our lives apart from proclaiming Christ's death until he comes. Because life comes from death. Here comes Owen again. Every unmortified sin will certainly do two things. One, it will weaken the soul and deprive it of its vigor. Number two, it will darken the soul and deprive it of its comfort and peace. So if you want a weak soul... Let sin live on in your life. If you want darkness in your life, let sin live on. If you want turmoil and discomfort in your life, let sin live on. If not, then put sin to death. Inigo Montoya and Fezzik carried their friend Wesley, whom they believed to be dead, to Miracle Max. They hoped that Miracle Max could do a miracle and bring him back to life. Miracle Max attempts to ask Wesley a question. Inigo says, he's dead. He can't talk. Miracle Max responds, look who knows so much. It just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. Where would I be without Princess Bride to quote? When it comes to sin, there is a difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead sin is slightly alive sin, and that still has the ability to reach out and take hold of us. Mostly dead sin is not good enough. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's not mostly dead. That's totally dead. Through the power of the spirit that God gives to us, indwelling us, and through these beautiful means of grace, we've got to reform our lives daily, die to sin. When we have loved it too much, reform, mortify. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Every weight, every sin. That's not mostly dead. That's totally dead through the power of the Spirit by which God indwells us. 
And through these beautiful means of grace, we must reform our lives. Every day, die to sin. When we've loved it too much, reform, mortify. Life comes from death. Real life, full life, life of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, all those things. Those are real life, and they come to us when we mortify sin and live by the Spirit. One more quote from Owen. One more. Everybody good? And then I'm done. This is good news. Owen writes that Christ can make the dry, parched ground of my soul to become a pool and my thirsty, barren heart as springs of water. Yes, he can make this habitation of dragons, this heart which is so full of abominable lusts and fiery temptations, to be a place of bounty and fruitfulness unto himself. Is that good news? It's true. By the power of the Spirit, by the means of grace. What might the Lord do with you and through you as you daily mortify sin and live to Christ? What might He do through us? An entire congregation of people who live less and less to sin and more and more to Christ. Here's what I want. I want by the power of the Spirit and through the grace that we find at this table to find out. Let's reform our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, the truth of it. Thank you for this table. Thank you for the proclamation that we are about to make. We're going to proclaim your death until you return. And we proclaim your death, Lord, because only through your death can there be life for us. So we thank you for it. We pray now that as we come to your table that you would strengthen us in our inner being so that we might put death to sin, so that we might live more and more to you, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.